Hey, I'm Max. Hi, I'm 99. And we're here to talk about unfucking the Republic. Welcome to Show Notes. Show Notes used to be at the end of the episodes. Now they're separate. And you'll know why in a second, because so many people write in that it would be impossible for us to get through an episode. They'd be like seven hours long. So we break them up. And now we're here talking about the feedback that came in from our last episode, the military film complex. Before we do that, I just want to take a second to thank everybody who supports the show. It was pretty cool, pretty humbling, pretty inspiring to have one of our early listeners, our most dedicated listeners, who is also a professor of film and literature and culture and other things, weigh in on the show. So thank you again to Kryn Gabbard, who is the beloved Kryn G uh, in our unfucking insane level uh, supporter network, who lent his expertise to the show and I think really First of all, help break up the monotony of me talking to you, but also added some really useful context to uh, to the episode. So I really appreciate Kryn for doing that. As we appreciate all of our incredible members, there's so much crossover. And that's the one thing as I was looking through show notes that 99 put together is the crossover and the kind of conversation and dialogue that's happening behind the scenes, that's happening kind of directly somewhat in Facebook groups. I know there's Reddit groups out there. There's just there's this whole little network. But it's the people that are also supporting the show. And and I'm not just saying just monetarily by sending us donations, which we obviously appreciate and we love and we love all of our members, but also by buying the coffee. I could see kind of a situation at some point when the coffee, because I feel like it's trending in that direction, is sort of the tail wagging the dog here. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has gone out of their way to purchase our coffee, still only available in the United States, although, as we've you know said at infinitum, we are working on it to try and get it uh, outside of the country. Uh, but by supporting us through buying the unfucking brand coffee, you're also supporting indigenous economic development with our members, our, our friends at the Puspatuck Reservation who are members of the Unkachog Nation. So again, shout out to everybody who, who has supported us through the membership portal at buymeacoffee.com, but also the people that are actually buying and enjoying and repeat buyers just through subscription of the actual coffee itself at unftr.com slash shop. So before we get into this, the one thing that I wanted to just revisit really quickly is how I'm still not sure that we resolved anything in the episode. And I think the comments really reflect that as well, although everybody was kind of giving their perspective on this whole chicken and egg idea about whether you're really just reinforcing your own values by going to a movie that is, in this case, about war, or you're learning something new, or maybe the buildup over time has this propagandistic effect on us, you as an individual, but us as a culture, etc. I don't feel like we landed anywhere in particular, but I think it was really useful to have the discussion. And, and I think that seems to be sort of the tone of the feedback is that this was a little bit of a departure of an episode, but people seem to appreciate it. So I want to thank everybody for the comments and let's get into them right now. So Andrew D. said, really love the military film complex episode, but kind of wish you guys spoke more on the disappearance of war and military movies and how they've transitioned into sci-fi and comic book films. So mm. We sort of talked about that in show notes. I understand the desire. I just don't know that that's our conversation. Yeah, and I, we alluded to it up front by saying that's kind of where we started and then had to go back and unpack the hundred years prior of the genre itself that kind of built and transformed. So actually, Andrew, that leads into, a, 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 I think, a really good topic and question, which is 
the sci-fi and the comic book genre as a whole, my sense was that it was just Hollywood following the money with the success of the Spider-Man franchise and then the Dark Knight franchise after that. You also, I, I realized after, you didn't talk about X-Men. And the early X-Men were amazing and pre-Dark Knight. Were they were they pre-Spider-Man? And were no. they as big at the box office? Because I know Spider-Man was an outlier at the box office, and I feel like that was the one that kind Pro of turned Hollywood. Probably not, but I think they're especially the first few. You know, they kind of took a turn for the worse, but I think people have real fondness for the original. Yeah, those were great. Yeah. Those were great. And even, I mean, the the Superman with Brandon Routh, it's not great, but it, people enjoyed it at the time. So it's fascinating how much of a big business this is. I mean, billions upon billions of dollars mm -hmm. in this industry now. But that was really, I, I think the larger point was that those films, in terms of our militaristic tendencies, we sort of get to live vicariously through those films now that we're past any of the, the big so-called just wars. Hollywood figured out that the uh, the genre related to pretty much everything post-Bosnia wasn't going to be very lucrative because we were so far afield from the just aspects of it and getting increasingly more uncomfortable with the portrayal of it, unless it was like totally fantastical and it was like, you know, continuation of the Rambo series and all those kind of silliness. But these to me are still, what I was originally trying to unpack was, is there some sort of subtle overtones or undertones to this comic book universe that is furthering our militaristic tendencies? Like is the escapism also too violent and sort of like twisting our brains in knots. But then what I was correlating with that is, well, that's the same argument that people use about, you know, trying to pull back hip hop or pull back video games, violent video games. And so I wanted to kind of <laughs> take a step back from a second and, and look at where it all began and figure out, you know, how much of this is propaganda, how much is not. So, uh, Andrew, I do think it's a worthwhile pursuit. It it was something that I feel I felt like we had to do so much advanced work before getting into, you know, how can you talk about whether or not the comic book genre is proxy for the modern American war film if we don't go through the history of modern America of, of war films in America. So that's that's kind of where that came from. And Bobby McDee said, I've ordered Camera Politica. That was the book that I really favored in the, in the last episode and cannot wait to get stuck into it. Thanks for the recommendation. Film is a significant part of my life. I watch them. I teach them. And for the past 20 years, I bemoaned the fact that they don't make them like they used to. One of the reasons I enjoyed this episode so much was it compelled me to engage with the fictional slash creative narratives which shaped me and the society that I grew up in. And that, you know, again, that was the larger point, and that's where we had a few diatribes talking about the the, sh the films that shaped us, or did they? And it's, it's a really good question to have. I do think, I do feel that there's a shallowness to a lot of the films that come out now, but that's but I don't want to say, I just don't want to paint Hollywood with that same brush just because maybe it's not as angsty as it used to be, only because I'm not in it as much. I think that the, you know, how fractionalized the society's become with what we're all viewing. There's no, you know, I can't paint that with a broad brush. I'm sure there's a lot of really desperate, angsty stuff out there that that's like pushing, you know, a lot of really fundamental narratives forward. I just don't feel like we're, as a culture, as inculcated with them as we used to be in the era of the blockbuster and five TV shows, if that makes sense. 
And Cam J is talking about American Sniper and Zero Dark Thirty. Those were two of the modern war films that we dug into the most. And he said, it reminded me of having to sit through Sunday school VHS docudrama bullshit about Noah and the Ark, but didn't fucking believe one stitch of it. I felt like I was obligated and supposed to watch these fucking movies because so many ass clowns reviewing them said things like, quote, critically acclaimed. It says, please use Homer Simpson's access, accent with that quotation, which I don't think I have in me. Critically acclaimed. That was good, I think. I'm not a Simpsons we'll leave it person. At that. I don't know. And then he continues, I'm a big fan of Red Dawn and Gasp, fucking We Were Soldiers, which is Mel Gibson putting himself on a blood-spattered social justice soapbox, like he's the first fucker to do desegregation and empathize with the Vietnamese slaughtering in droves. I think it's good to call out We Were Soldiers because it's not as propagandistic as the rest, and it was sort of a cautionary tale about our involvement. Uh, So this was a movie about our involvement in Vietnam, basically the first squad in taking the reins from the French soldiers that were already in Vietnam. And basically the French soldiers saying, we have no business being here. It did portray the Vietnamese uh, army in a much better, more favorable light. But I think his point is really well taken that, uh, you know, fuck Mel Gibson, because even there's no amount of like... I guess, reputation washing that he could possibly go through ever at this point to undo what he's done. And you're talking to somebody that loved Braveheart in all of its toxic masculinity. And whenever Manny plays I Am William Wallace, it's definitely one of my favorite and funniest clips. I am William Wallace. But none of that can really undo what he's done. Yeah, you had me at fuck Mel Gibson. Yeah, you know, it's it's like, strangely, you can't separate, like... I'm sure we're not going to be able to separate Will Smith in his future movies and the slap heard around the world. Like, you're going to have very deliberate feelings about him on screen now. Uh, are we? Oh, I, th- I think that you will bring feelings about... I think it will be much harder for him to escape in a role going forward because he's beca- it's, it's because of the buffoonery surrounding that moment. I Just mean- like I can't see Mel Gibson in any sort of charismatic or empathetic portrayal of anything. I just anymore. don't, it's not a fair compare. I mean, I'm not like a Will Smith apologist. I think he kind of went off the rails a little bit a while ago, like mm-hmm. years ago. I used to love him. I did a report on him in the fifth grade because I love Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But I feel like he's just been kind of weird for a while. So, I mean. Famous for way too long. Yeah. I'm not saying that you should slap people. I mean, who? why are we still talking about this? But I just don't think it's, I don't think it's a fair comparison. Oh, it's not a comparison. I'm just saying that in the same way that I don't think that you're ever going to be able to unsee him in a role going forward as an actor. And a lot of actors have gone through this in the past. When they do something that's outlandish or ridiculous in in the public eye in real life, it's hard to like take them out of that role. Just as like there's people that have carefully curated their personalities like a Tom Cruise. Like you can't unsee Tom Cruise in a role. He's Tom Cruise in everything. And taking like a magnolia out of the out of the the his I guess his catalog, he's Tom Cruise and everything, but he knows that about himself, so he's going to continue to cast himself in Tom Cruise type movies. Mel Gibson's just a fucking dick, and he's a misogynist, and he's a racist, and he's fervently anti-Semitic, and I can't unsee any of that in any of his films going forward, no matter how good We Were Soldiers was, because we're not meant to. Assholes remain assholes for a reason. That's right. Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. Don't forget it. Yeah, he is. It's not good. So appreciate that, Cam J. 
And Ryan K said, war movies, We Three Kings with Ice Cube and Mark Wahlberg, where they tried to help Iraqis escape, but Bush said, let the Iraqis work it out. I saw Three Kings a very, a long time ago. It did not stick with me. And it wasn't something that I... So again, remember, there was 5,000 war films made over the last 100 years out of, out of Hollywood. And that doesn't even include the documentary. So a lot of the, you know, the, the war movies that might have resonated with you, I obviously didn't cover. So I don't have a feeling about that one way or the other. I thought of a war movie after we recorded. The adaptation of A Little Princess with Shirley Temple. Her dad was a soldier. Is like, that a war movie or there was a soldier in it? Well, the whole premise is that he dies and she becomes like a, a ward of the school she was at and they abuse her. Well, and make her clean stuff. So if we're going to do that, <laughs> then what was the movie with Emma Thompson where she's Nanny McPhee? <laughs> if in that case, Nanny McPhee How is, is a war movie. How is Nanny McPhee war movie? Because while the husband is off at war, the children are out of control and they need to be. Is that the second Nanny McPhee? Returns. Because the first. Nanny McPhee yeah, returns. Because the first one is Colin Firth. The second one is Maggie Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal. How do you say their name? Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal? Yeah. Second one is Maggie Gyllenhaal, who I didn't buy with a British accent, by the way. Well, and yeah. she may be British for all She's I know. Definitely not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if, then I, I I see your Shirley Temple movie and I raise you Nanny McPhee Returns. Wow, I didn't realize you were such a Nanny McPhee head. Oh, yeah. Oh, I loved her. You were my mom. Yeah? <laughs> yes. Are we the same age? No. Don't answer. You're not. Okay. She's older. Hey, Manny Faces here, a.k.a. the genius behind the glass. Uh, since we're on the topic, I just want to throw into the ring uh, my choice for sort of non-obvious war movie. Uh, well, I mean, most people kind of know, uh, but features one of the most iconic figures in cinematic history uh, and one of my favorites, Godzilla. Uh, the, the original 1954 uh, Godzilla was, uh, you know, a visual, visceral uh, metaphor for the atomic bomb. Uh, and in fact, on the subject of propagandizing things, the American version of the original Japanese version took out some footage, added some footage, and basically sort of uh, tried to diminish or downplay the obviousness of the metaphor. In fact, in a May 2nd, 2004 New York Times article, The Monster That Morphed Into a Metaphor, Terence Rafferty writes, quote, For Godzilla was, even in its bold King of the Monsters incarnation, an obvious, gigantic, unsubtle, grimly purposeful metaphor for the atomic bomb. The Americanized Godzilla, which removed about 40 minutes from the Japanese original and inserted 20 minutes or so of new scenes featuring a sympathetic Yank journalist played with burly gravitas by Raymond Burr, did its darndest to minimize the nuclear theme. A lot of the Japanese characters' explicit references to the bomb were jettisoned, but Godzilla's backstory was left basically intact. The beast, we're told, had lived more or less peacefully in the ocean for a few hundred thousand years, only very occasionally requiring the sacrifice of a virgin or two by nearby islanders, until H-bomb testing killed off its food supply and, as its fiery exhalations indicate, irradiated the creature itself. And since the stateside distributors were understandably reluctant to tamper with the meat and potato scenes of the monster's rampages, the most memorable images, even in the American version, are those of a Japanese city burned and crushed to dust by a lethal, apparently ungovernable force. You'd have to be pretty thick, thicker than Raymond Burr, to miss the point. End quote. So, uh, body shaming Raymond Burr aside, pretty interesting uh, how the uber-iconic Godzilla was in fact very much a war movie. 
and America did its very best to make you think it wasn't. Interesting. Anyway, that's it. Thanks. Bye. And Daniel P. said the latest episode of the podcast made me want to shout out the piece of media that unfucks the warfare, glorifying toxic masculinity, pushing patriarchal, imperial, colonial, oppressive, white supremacist story cult. Fuck. I didn't get through it. Storytelling culture better than any other piece of media ever made. And so I shall. And in all caps, Daniel says, Steven Universe. All I know about that is a cartoon. There's a little boy in it. I I don't know. So apparently, because I did look it up, because okay. I'd never heard of it before, it is a very progressive cartoon that is beloved in the LGBTQIA community. So, okay. I will take you at your word, Daniel P. And uh, unfuckers, if you've heard of Steven Universe and you love Steven Universe, let us know what you think. Hey, Manny Faces again, a.k.a. the genius behind the glass, in case you missed that reference the first time. Uh, just want to say I am more max than 99 in age, but I have a slew, a veritable assortment of children of all ages. And uh, therefore, I uh, know very much about cartoons and other media aimed at the juvenile demographic. And I can indeed attest that Steven Universe is fantastic. Atomic Dog said, great episode. Love this analysis of American propaganda. I think the same analysis could be done on all those cop movies that came out for a while there. As an internal military, is the problem of the police bad apples or a bad system? Now I'm thinking of Training Day, The Departed, or The Wire, but if you start including TV, the episode would have been interminable. Interminable. And indubiously it would. I, I love this, Atomic Dog. Thank you for this. Policing in America, that is something that I, boy, I'd love to actually lay it out. Well, the problem is both. <laughs> it's a broken system. Yeah. And it's bad apples. And we're, but we're so divided today that there has to be some decent information on both sides that expose the corruption. My question is, so like The Departed, that's another one where it's like everybody in that movie is corrupt and or, you know, but, and the cop is a rat. And, you know, so take that out of the mix. But I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine did a really good job in their last season. I think because isn't that a comedy? It is. It is right. Yeah, Am it's I a TV right show. Thing? Yeah, with Andy Samberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, you know, it was there was a bunch of progressive people in the show filming a show about cops in mm. a time where cops were just killing black people left and right. Mm. So they did a good job talking about you know the Black Lives Matter movement and one character left the force because of it because she didn't want to be that person and just you know good interplay there. And I think that's why they did end it is because they were like, this is like too far now. It's not, right. it's not funny to laugh at cops doing their job because cops aren't like this. Well, you think about, I mean, we've, there've been heroic cop movies yeah. forever. I'd, wait, I just wanted to add the sorry. addendum that I'm generalizing before I get it, like people in my DMs being like, my husband's a cop <laughs> and he's not bad. And I'm like, I know. Okay. Right. But just, I'm generalizing. But I'm thinking about it from a cultural perspective about how the, because the internal military, the cops, the people that we engage with on a day-to-day -day basis, I think have only just begun. There's the attempt to rehabilitate them in the same way that we rehabilitate soldiers is just now beginning again. So you've got the right and the conservative media still pushing this, you know, back the blue narrative, which is 
very similar to the support the troops narrative. Mm -hmm. We need policing. And that's and I think that's fundamentally what was so wrong about defund the police and why it was such a bad moniker for such a what could have been a really positive movement that was all with better marketing and better spin, not to, you know, be not to downplay it or, or make it a less serious topic. But if it wasn't defund the police, but it was, you know, support cops with proper psychological aid and, you know, make the system better and stop, you know, putting so much pressure on our cops. If that had been sort of the tone, tone and the tenor, it might have taken off a little bit better. But defund the police just handed the handed the right wing the ultimate narrative and they're driving a freight train through it. How that ultimately shows up in media and popular culture will be it's being written as we speak. Whereas in the past, I think it was OK to do that film about the corrupt cops. And it was okay to, like, if you look at The Untouchables, the entire police department was corrupt. You look at Serpico. Serpico was the hero of that movie, exposing all the criminality within the police departments. There was more of, I think because it was on the ground, there was more antipathy between cops and the public than there is today with seeing cops as military on the ground. So I think that the great point that Atomic Dog is making here is that this is our now our internal military as opposed to the police that are also civilians in their own right that are that have power over us. It's it's a it's an interesting dynamic that's being played out. There's another there's a follow up from the creators of The Wire right now. Mm. The new uh, HBO series with uh, John Bernthal, the guy that plays the Punisher, he's mm -hmm. coming out. He's like the ultimate crooked cop uh, at the head of a, the squad that was in Baltimore around the same time. So, I mean, demonizing these. But it, but then again, they demonize, they'll demonize these cops. But the question is. Do you root for them when you watch that? Do you love that power dynamic? Are you an inherently racist person who's going to see all of that play out and say, yeah, well, they deserve it. And if there's money on the ground from drug dealers, these cops have the right to take it. Like, it's going to be interesting to see, like, on a case by case basis, how all of these things land. And I'm sure they land differently in red states versus blue states. And I think there's also a cable versus network dichotomy. So like all of network TV instead of it being hospital dramas, I mean, there are still some, but like Chicago PD, Chicago 911, Chicago FD, Blue Blood. It's like everything mm -hmm. is cop shows. Yeah. And they're all amazing superheroes that can solve a crime in 40 minutes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, there is, what's the... Uh, CSI out of gamey. Huh? I'd love that. It'd be really fun to watch. Watch them just arrest Nettie week yeah, after week. Yeah, but it's week. like in, in real time, so they have to wait two weeks for the DNA to come back because it's not, you know, they don't process it in-house. Yes, this is uh, CSI Adagami, uh, calling in to check on the results of those DNA samples we sent in. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Two weeks later. And then they just, you know, fucked it up and sent back somebody else's DNA and then yeah. wrongfully convict Knutson oh, instead no. of Nettie. Whoa. Right. Yeah. See, I think we actually have a pilot here. Hmm, maybe we can get, uh, it could be like the, like the OJ one. The people versus OJ. Like the... Yeah. Right? The people versus Nettie? Yeah. Can I make a confession to you? 
What? Never seen a CSI. That's okay. okay. I mean, you're not missing anything. No? Not really. They're all the same. I used to watch them one with my dad. I know if it wasn't for CSI and Law and Order that a lot of actors wouldn't work. Yes, every actor has been on that. We're yeah. Bones. I don't think I've ever seen Bones either. You believe me? <laughs> that makes sense. It's on TBS. Is that still a channel? Is that a network? TBS, very funny. It is? Yeah. Okay. In my head, it's still 39, but I don't know any TV channels anymore. So you're a big supporter of Ted Turner? Sure. John C. said, as far as the chicken and egg debate, I'm still waiting for the series when devout Muslim hero cop takes on the gang of white supremacist terrorists, saving the girl and winning the community's utmost respect. I guess I'll be waiting for a while. <laughs> yes, you will, John. And then Anna, a.k.a. Asoke, wrote in for, okay. for the first time, which was exciting to hear from her in email. She said, my grandfather and I would spend a lot of time together, so we watched quite a few war movies. I'm not sure why or what it reminded him of, but we were also watching documentaries on what happened, so maybe he was trying to understand how these things could have even happened. Who knows, really? I just know that watching these movies never left me with a good feeling. The quote, good guy, was always painted as a hero, but still doing awful things. Then watching documentaries and later learning about real horrors American soldiers did just put it all together for me. Couple thoughts. Number one, Ahsoke totally seems like the type of person who would have spent a lot of time with her grandfather. <laughs> I love that about her. Uh, second of all, it underscores a really important point about the war genre that we talked about very briefly up top, which is that the documentary universe happens to be extraordinary. Now, we didn't cover it, because as I said, it's not widespread enough to move the cultural needle, to inform the entire culture in the way that a blockbuster war film can, you know, like a Saving Private Ryan, can really like overwhelm the senses and get the entire country talking. I wish it was that way, but there's a reason that documentaries are kind of on the margin. The art house films that, that Kryn was talking about don't have the same level of impact, but I imagine that if Ahsoka is sitting down with her grandfather and they're watching a healthy mix between the two of them, first of all, there's the connection that her grandfather served, so they're probably watching them at a different level. But that my guess is that if he was also then watching the documentaries with you, that he had a very kind of different take on the whys and the wherefores behind the war, and it was probably pretty elevated. And Alex P. So Alex P. recommends a book called Jesus and John Wayne, how white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation, sort of in honor, tying together our upcoming episode on religion and uh, tying in this episode. So Alex P., thank you for the suggestion. And with that, let's head on over to general feedback. So John S. wrote in and said, Unfuck Your Morning Espresso is tremendous. Really appreciate the new sticker. I have the oval one on my truck in Texas, and the newest one, which is our logo, is going on my water bottle that I carry literally everywhere as a flight attendant traveling internationally and domestically. It's like a fantasy of mine to someday I'm going to spot a UNFTR sticker on a car. Yeah. I, f I almost like crashed my car looking for one the other day. I was like, <laughs> it was just an oval. I saw one. I was driving behind, um, presumably a veteran, who had like the oval UNFTR, but it said Iraq. Oh. It's oh. like, did you get that in us. the gift shop? <laughs> <laughs> On the way out? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, it was just a very weird, you know, a whole bunch of weird stickers. But mm. he seemed kind of woke, actually, by the other stickers. I can't remember. I, I wanted to take a photo, but driving, you know. Right, of course. Yeah. Well, if so maybe we'll get lucky enough that if we don't see it on a car, we'll actually be on one of John's flights. That'd be fun. That'd be neat. I mean, I'm not flying anywhere anytime soon, but. That's fair. <laughs> and Kimberly H. said, 
I would be totally into 99's jam band unfucking. My only question is whether it is a miniseries or a <laughs> whole new pod. So do you think that you could unfuck jam bands in a in a series, like a limited edition 99 special series? I just don't know what I'd be unfucking, realistically. I mean, I don't want to cast negative. Maybe there's like a whole satanic subculture as part of it that others don't I'm know about. I'm not going to give into the satanic panic. There is currently a, a podcast. I'm sorry. Is there a satanic panic? You just sort of like. Well, the, the satanic panic, like from the 80s and 90s were oh. all that. I mean, it's. You just said you just said it at, while you were looking at me so casually, like, you know, I've heard that before and I'm not giving into <laughs> that bullshit. Do you, are you unfamiliar? Leave my, leave my Wiccan, exi- what are you, a, warlo- a Wiccan or a warlock? I'm, I- I'm neither. Neither? No. Okay. I'm Jewish. <laughs> so you have horns. Yes. Okay. Not I like Satanists, by the way. Okay. For helping to win the free speech arguments everywhere they go. Because mm-hmm. every time there's like a bullshit evangelical law passed, the Satanists show up and they're like, cool, we can do it too, right? And they just fuck the court systems up and I love them for that. Well, I don't know how we got on this, but Kimberly H. would like you to do a miniseries or a whole pod on unfucking jam bands. Okay. Oh, we got on it because I called them all Satanists. That's right. And a big thank you to Vicky K., who said, after listening to the April 15th episode of UNFTR, I contributed to Jessica Cisneros' campaign. I don't live in her district, but I do live in Texas and would love to see Texas turn blue. Hoo-ha! Love it. Derek R. weighed in on our quickie from two weeks ago and said, The Battle in Pennsylvania. This is personal because while I've lived in, I don't know what C-bus is. I think Columbus. Oh. <laughs> so while I've lived in, I <laughs> 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 didn't know what it meant. Just looked and I said, okay. Well, So while he's lived in Columbus the last 10 years, I was born and raised just outside Pittsburgh. Go Pirates. Max will undoubtedly enjoy this baseball season more than I will. I, yes, I will. And Derek's deeply focused on how the working class area he proudly hails from has been turned a little too, re- too red for him to stomach. My parents actually live in Connor Lamb's district, but I'm 100% for Fetterman. My home in Ohio, I'm supporting Morgan Harper in the primary and not the establishment, Tim Ryan. So remember the Ohio bid for the next comment. And thank you again, Derek R. Always great to hear from you. Tony M. said, I cannot find any sort of progressive movement in my community. I want to get active and organized to spread progressivism in Ohio. So Tony M. already did the shoe leather research and said that they came up empty trying to find really like good grassroots progressive movements in Ohio. So we have to put the call out to unfuckers. Let us know if you think that there's a good organization that even, let's say, if it covers the Midwest or anything that's on the ground supporting progressivism, progressive primaries, primaries rather, primaries, primaries or any sort of causes that lean progressive that are really well organized and have been around for a while, let us know and we'll list them out on the show. So then Walt H. emailed in and said, oh no, 99 shouting out the Wolf Pack in show notes without actually shouting out the Wolf Pack in show notes. So I'm assuming that the Wolf Pack is what Wolf Pack fans call themselves, which I think is fun. So this was in reference to, I said my favorite band, it's a little smaller than Fish, a little more intimate, so I didn't name them. It is not Wolfpack, but I do really enjoy them. And I love their album, Thrill of the Arts. So I wanted to recommend that. It's like funky, kind of weird. Um, is it a jam band? No, I wouldn't call them, I wouldn't classify them as a jam band. I think they're a funk rock band that jams. 
Do they write three minute songs that I can dance to? They have do a catchy have beat? some snappy, snappy little little songs, quick, quick goes. More funky and like experimental a little bit. I don't know. They just have they're just really fun. When I saw them, um, I've only seen them once. Like the, the guy, I can't remember which which member was wearing this like 70s tennis outfit and like prancing around on stage. All my friends were like, what the fuck are we watching? And I was like, it's Wolfpack. Pay attention. <laughs> but no, they're they're really good. But unfortunately, no. But keep guessing, Walt. <laughs> Maybe I'll see you at a show one day. Yeah, but if Walt guesses it, will you reveal it? I'll decide on the day. Okay. So on the theme of progressivism, by the way, Mark K sent in a couple of his own. So we have UpsideDownWorld.org, The Open Veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano, a must-read site started by Gregory Wilpert called VenezuelaAnalysis.com, and The Indestructible Podcast. I'm not familiar with any of these. We took a quick look at them ahead of time, and uh, they seem they seem perfectly legit. So those are recommendations from Mark K. Get on them, unfuckers. Make it happen. And while we're on the subject of giving out recommendations, Elena S. answered the call and gave a shout out to Atomic Dog from the last episode saying, Elena listens to about 20 Spanish language podcasts, the favorites being La Verdadera Historia de México, Presidente Amio Conferencias Matutinas, Todo Psicodélica with Alex de Leon, La Voz de los Hongos, Sonidos de la Nación Zapotica, Zapoteca, Zapoteca, which is regional songs in Spanish and Zapotec, and Música Ambiental Psicodélica, and then Idolo, Balad de Chilino Sanchez, etc. Wow, not that easy for me to get through, but this part I did understand. Elena closes out with, Henry Cuellar is a real hijo de puta. I love the fact that you're encouraging people to vote for Jessica Cisneros. So uh, I know I massacred those, Elena, but uh, those were Elena's suggestions for Atomic Dog for Spanish language podcasts that she loves. So with that, let's head on over to social media and start on the Facebooks. Aaron e said, by the way, funny, Star Wars was about rebellion against an entire empire until it got popular and then they made it about blasting bad guys. Then it lost its edge. Hmm. That was the ultimate rebellion film, I guess, in its own way. It's funny. It's it's, it's such a part of our cultural experience in, in the world now. I mean, it's been with us for so long and it's so important to us. But when it started out, it was kind of it was kind of a joke. Like people didn't think it was going to be what it was going to be. Are you thinking of Spaceballs instead? That's, <laughs> no. That was a joke. That, <laughs> that was, was definitely that, a that joke. That was satire. Ludicrous speed. No. Um, apparently, the very end of Star Wars... Now, Star Wars geeks are going to be like, yeah, dummy, everybody knows this anecdote. But when Princess Leia, Han Solo, and Luke Skywalker are are walking through the gauntlet of soldiers to get their award at the end of the movie, the extras were, like, literally sneering at them and, like, calling them jerk-offs and stuff and being like, come on, get on with it. This fucking blows, right? Just because it was like, nobody thought that this was going to be what it was going to be. Uh, So I don't think anybody saw it coming, but Star Wars fans, and I know there's a ton of fanatics out there, is that really the deal with Star Wars? Did it really start out as like the, like a hero story of, was was it, was it truly a good versus evil? And were there implications for US Empire that Lucas had baked into it, I wonder? 
Because I, I don't know. I think it was that. just a story about a guy who wanted to fuck his sister. Mm. Daniel J said, and this is a long one, so we'll move we'll move through it as best we can. Daniel J said, so I have to say something about Zero Dark Thirty, which you do bring up. The movie is more subtle than that. There are people that argue that it is a pro-torture movie and that without rendition, we would not have found Bin Laden. Now, I could see why some would see it this way, but I'm here to tell you that's not the case. After weeks of torturing a guy to pinpoint the location of an upcoming terror attack and getting nothing, the attack happens. As a Hail Mary, the CIA operatives, knowing their guy has been locked in a cell with no communication and no way to know the attack was successful, basically tell him that he told them everything. Then they try a new tactic. They feed him. They take him out of his cell. And he sees the sky for the first time in what could be months. They tell him that he gave up everything. They tell him the attack was thwarted and he was instrumental in helping stop it. Now, fearing retribution from his comrades, the guy sees the only way out is to give up everything. Names, emails, etc. He never actually gave up anything to the CIA, but because he's been locked in perpetual darkness for so long and being brutally tortured, he doesn't know what he actually said. Did this happen? Don't know. Yes, the movie has composite characters, as many based on a true story movies do, but the point remains, the CIA doesn't get the info they need by using torture. The failure to stop the attack makes them regroup and reassess their strategy. So there's there's a few things in this that I think is important that some people did walk away from Zero Dark Thirty thinking that we tortured the answer to Bin Laden's location. Daniel's going deeper into it, talking about torture and then withdrawal of torture, all the different tactics. Is rendition good uh, in that it teases out information if the information is there? We know mostly that rendition actually teases out misinformation as much as, if not more than, that it teases out real information. And the point is that Daniel's making is that there's, you know, intellectual subterfuge that's happening all throughout the, the movie as well. And it doesn't really clearly state anything. And I think that that was the intent of the movie. You know, the intent of the movie was to, was to still have a hero's journey. This one was supported by the government. They did like, I don't know if it was financially supported, but the government and the military was very fond of this movie and, and helped promote this movie because of the, the hero's journey of the composite character in particular, played by Jessica Chastain. So a complicated movie. More complicated, I would think, than American Sniper, which really is just filled with inconsistencies and and paints the wrong message. Chip W. recommended some books and said Hollywood's Cold War by Tony Shaw, Colorization, 100 Years of Black Films in a White World by Will Haygood, and Pulp Empire by Paul Hirsch. Good stuff. We'll add that to bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTRpod for anybody that wants to get some books from our book list. And that leads to Spencer, who said, love the show. But could someone explain how the China Syndrome was a war film? Max mentions it early in the show. Perhaps I'm thinking of the wrong one. No, Spencer. I'm a dummy. You're thinking of the right one. I had that as a holdover from my notes that I was putting together as war-adjacent films. Originally, there was a much bigger section on um, nuclear war or nuclear fallout and the potential of it and sort of the fictionalized accounts of it. Another section on documentaries and more in the satire genre. As I started to strip it away and realized that this thing was just becoming too much of a beast, I took a lot of the references to the nuclear genre out, but I left China Syndrome in the lead, making it seem like I included that in the pantheon of war films, which was unintentional. So China Syndrome is a fictionalized account of nuclear fallout. 
it did star there a lot was written about it in these books though because it was starred Jane Fonda and Jane Fonda was so closely associated with the anti-war movement that there were actually a couple of passages in both of the books that referenced her involvement in the war and how much of the country had turned against her and she was vilified coming out of the war which is sort of like the ultimate misogynistic expression of the toxic male patriarchy culture coming after what is an easy target in an, in the anti-war movement. There was plenty of men that opposed the war, but she was the one that really came out, you know, being labeled Hanoi Jane, I think was her nickname or something like that. Anyway, uh, so thanks for that catch. I appreciate that. And then our last note on Facebook comes from Kyle C. He said, I love this episode. Like most youth, I didn't realize how glorified war was in movies until I got older. Now head over to Twitter, and we've got Will Watkins the Fourth. I am William Wall. Said another great episode. Did Max look at his watch and count on his fingers how much time he had left when Ninety Nine said what she said at the end of the show? I'm still laughing. Bullshit! It's that fucking guy, Mike Rowe. He's a great storyteller. He's really good. But now he's like aligned with Fox News and conservative media. And it's all about like the real heart and soul of the working class American and good people like John Wayne. Anyway, I mean, all white men should be executed when they turn 75. (laughs) It always goes south. Did you? I just got really silent, really cautious. I think you were trying to count on your fingers. How many years I had left? Yeah. I think I was just really taken aback at how it. So you're not in the studio with us, but if you could have seen the dead, cold gaze that that that's just your male gaze. You're you're projecting. I'm not projecting. It's just you said oh, it now so you're gaslighting coldly. Me? This is why all men need to be executed. She's doing it again on fuckers. And she's just looking at me. She's even smiling a little bit. She's just like, like nothing's happening, right? She's looking right through me. It would be good for the environment. What? Yeah. Now you have a new angle on it. I had, this was, I had a, a whole angle in my head at the time. So you have a Swiftian proposal. Taylor Swift? Don't eat the babies. Not Taylor Swift. Swift. Thomas, right? Isn't it Thomas Swift? Eat the babies. Cure overpopulation. I don't know. No? Sounds like some satanic panic type of shit. No. At shock, not shack, shock, with a Q, while I liked most of your piece on Hollywood, in this age of well-coiffed propaganda, I'm uncomfortable with a, quote, quasi-anonymous source. I consider myself one of those because, while my identity is not on my profile, it's not a secret. What does quasi mean in your case? Okay. Um, well, quasi in my case means that, um, probably not all that hard to find if you really put some shoe leather in it. And what will happen if you do find out my identity is that you will be incredibly disappointed that I'm really not anybody. So the quasi anonymous part of this was 99 and I starting a show with a very public facing engineer in many faces and saying that we don't want to be personalities that overtake a show that become the show and sort of become identified with the content. We we didn't want you to see us coming because again, if you can see me, I am the embodiment of a basic white guy, but seeing me deliver content will, your receiving, your message receiving mechanism 
will automatically assume something about the way that I am sort of portrayed in, in our culture. And I didn't want that to be a distraction. I wanted the content to really stand on its own. Now, over time, it has become kind of personality filled in show notes, especially. So you know that there are people behind this that you know feel a certain way, that root for the New York Mets, that are New Yorkers. One of us is uh, a Jew with horns. The other is just purely agnostic and refuses to identify any uh, of his uh, cultural biases, backgrounds, or ethnicity, composite, whatever you want to make me. But we're really nobody. That's the most important thing about this. The reason that I'm comfortable saying, don't worry about who's behind the mic, is because we put so much effort into sourcing all of our material. Everything that we talk about has a link, has uh, more links in show notes. We hyperlink all the articles. We have an entire bookshop dedicated to all the books that we use as resources. We're not gaslighting anybody. We're just people that work really, really hard to put great information out into the universe and happen to be really good at podcasting. Yeah. And um, no shade, but uh, if that's not good enough for you, there's plenty of other podcasts out there with people who have their identities known. That's just the way it is right now, though. That's right. I like not being anybody. <laughs> I'd like to stay that way forever. Please don't dox me. Well, I don't think anybody's going to come after you because I think I think by this, well, certainly no white men are going to come after you because they're all terrified of you. Or they're going to be like, this bitch wants us dead. We got to take her out. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, man. I don't know either. I think you're, it's the worst kept secret by you. <laughs> you tell everybody. Everyone we work with, you're like, and this is who I really am. And I'm like, remember the secrecy? Remember that part of it? Everyone? Kind of. <laughs> Everyone we work with knows. Yeah. <laughs> because it was getting a little hard to hide how much time we were spending on this. I mean, like our, our external collaborators. It's like day one. Oh. He'll be like, and this is my real name and my social security number. Well. <laughs> I like that you're trusting. I trust. I, I trust no one. That's fair. And I value my privacy. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll get bucked on it at some point, I, I assume. But we're just trying to change hearts and minds. Yeah. That's it. If you want to read my... um. My blogs that I did in college when I had an internship, go for it. Or you can read my really conservative columns from college. Ugh. Are those online? No. I've done plenty. There was of, no online. I, that's true. <laughs> I've done plenty of searches on you, you know, for security reasons. And uh, I've never seen those. So. Oh, no, you won't find those. There's only a couple people that know those. I'd love to read them. No, you wouldn't. I would. Nope, you wouldn't. I definitely would. I literally wrote one. About the white man's burden. <laughs> <laughs> and was being totally serious. That's so sad. I meant it in the most positive way possible. But it looking back on it, I I wanna I wanna go back and find younger me and just sort of throttle him. And or have him listen to uh, Unfucking the Republic. You would have been one of our detractors. Would have been like, I think Reagan was the greatest president who ever lived. <laughs> Even back then I didn't think that. Yeah. You know that? That's good. I, it was so, it's so funny because, so I think about this a lot. I think about the journey a lot because you have to really commit yourself to learning to break from your environmental shackles. You really do. And I went to a very, very liberal school and still came out conservative. You got to work your I ass off. I would have off. fucking hated you. Oh my God, you would have hated me. That's so sad. 
Because I want to meet Baby Max, mm-hmm. but I would have hated you. Mm-hmm. Yep. You would have been so cute. Nope. Yeah, little cute Max. Same hair, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same fuckboy hair. sunglasses, too. Probably. Wait. Yeah, no, it's the same, st- same style. Yeah. But they're timeless. I basically haven't changed anything since the 90s. It's really sad. I'm just hoping it all comes back into, into I've, style. I mean, I've seen about, like five pictures of you when you were younger so I'm basing it off of that so I can't really the only thing I lost was the double breasted suit yes that's never coming back you looked like David Byrne in a bad way yes (laughs) Yes. W. Jeremy D good supporter of the show said Max your last sentence Hollywood is capitalist is accurate down to the atomic level I will also say a large amount of depth of purpose you seek to examine is a mirage created when you ask people who just want to entertain to explain their art. For context, I've made all of my grown-up money in entertainment, about a third of that, come from comic book era movies. Some bitch. Look at that. I will also say, a large amount of the depth of purpose you seek to examine is a mirage created when you ask people who just want to entertain to explain their art. He's saying it's not worth analysis. Yeah. Probably partially true. Yeah. I'm sure Michael Bay has no ulterior motive other than explode budget. Right. So I'm with that in the comic book era, for sure. I think that there are some people that grew up on these comic books that didn't even care about or even see some of the political intent behind the comic books, of which there was a lot, and wanted to make really great, entertaining, explosive movies out of them. The strict war film genre, which is why I focused on it, is a lot more clarifying than that. Unless you're going to talk about the war-adjacent films that we were talking about, like Stripes. That part of it, or Private Benjamin, that part of it kind of threw me for a loop when I read the book. That's one of the things that I walked away with that I really learned from this episode was um, some of these war-adjacent films, and I'll, I'll give another one, which is The Great Santini. The Great Santini's maybe one of the best films ever. I'll just like, just forget about genre. It is an unbelievable movie. The very end of it, though, is sort of an, an acquiescence to this idea that militarism and structure and the military builds character is a good thing. And so you you wind up hating this guy all through the film, but then in his death, seeing him as a hero, and then you watch his son step into his shoes and assume his same type of outlook and persona. Now, are you to be, you could actually view that movie and be saddened by that fact, or you can look at it and say, well, the son finally learned his lesson. And that's part of the the dubious nature of that film. It's a, And that's what makes it so difficult to watch in such a wonderful performance on, on every level. Private Benjamin, on the other hand, is about a woman who, you know, basically, you know, loses all of, everything goes wrong in her life. And then she finds validation and value through the military. Same thing with Stripes. These are the ne'er-do-wells in society that by happenstance wind up signing up for the army and then they wind up being the heroes of the film and they have their own quirky display of, of you know, I guess, they have their own quirky display of falling in line. And we're supposed to look at that and be like, well, they actually got it done, but they did it with flair and they did it their way. Just the type of, you know, soldiers that I'm looking for, as they say in the movie. But, it's really talking about the value of discipline and cultural discipline and why we need that in the military. So 
no matter how you look at any of those films, there always seems to be an underlying message there. Whereas I agree that a lot of the films that are made in the comic book genre, probably the intent there is, hey, man, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to make a fuckload of money because these always work. I don't know. Not always. There are some bad ones out there. But um, I thought of a, a military adjacent movie. What's that? Cadet, Sabrina? Cadet Kelly. Have you seen it? What the fuck is that? The, the Hillary Duff movie from the 2000s? Oh no, I'm, I'm dead oh serious. With, I'm dead serious with this one. Dead serious. Okay. She goes to this like hippy dippy liberal school. I'm Googling it on fuckers. And then her mom marries this or is engaged to this, the principal of a military school. So they move and she has to go to military school. <sighs> and she went to this like fucking, you know, they like danced around and did like, I don't know. Some a school I'd want to go to, and then she goes to military school, and she hates it, and she keeps getting in trouble because she wants to be her her own person. But then she starts to like it and sees the beauty in it because she joins the drill team, and then like starts to love military school. So the second question that Google prompts you with in the people also ask section is: Is Cadet Kelly realistic? And the Google answer is, Cadet Kelly has very realistic military representation for a Disney movie. For instance, if you paint a rainbow on your superior officer's hair, your stepfather, who also happens to be the commandant, will only slightly reprimand you and make you lug around equipment for a group on campus that twirls the gun thingies. Was it a Quora post? Google, uh, you know, return this as a the second result. Okay, for, well, her... This sounds like a very serious film. Her counselor, whatever they call them, is Christy Carlson Romano, a.k.a. <gasps> Ren. No way. From Even Stevens. I don't know what that is. Christy, she's a person. Mm-hmm. That's She's not an it. Uh, she played Belle on Broadway for a while, I believe. And so, so Hilary Duff paints her hair with acrylic paint, like a neon rainbow. Mm-hmm. And then um, she gets a a court martial and has to she is the like janitor for the drill team like she cleans their boots and their and their buckles and stuff and shines the guns but then it's like it's like a ballet like she falls in love with watching these people do drill team stuff and then she loves like it's like if i was sent to military school and then all of a sudden i loved it so this is the legally blonde of disney era hillary duff i don't think Movies. I don't think you have to compare them just because they're two blonde stars and they were made for younger girls, okay? Sorry. Thank you. And Chrissy Carlson Romano calls her maggot the whole time. She's like, oh, did you break a nail? And then she's like, get up, maggot. It's the whole thing. Yeah, it's mm. not good. I mean, it's good, but it's mm. not good. It's definitely propaganda. Did it make you want to join the military? Fuck no, I hated it. It, it stressed me out because I have a very... I have like a an anxiety about being set like sent Authority. away. No, when like when I watch movies where people are sent somewhere like that, that type of situation where they can't they can't leave and there's nothing they can do because their parents sent them there, mm. it like makes my 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 chest constrict because I like it's very stressful. So I, it's like a fun movie to watch, but the conceit of it was always very stressful to me. So I can, I can you know kind of align with this. When I was like gonna make fun of me. eleven or twelve, I my parents sent me to handsome camp. Handsome. Yep. The f- is this real? This is for kids that were just too handsome for the world. I thought you were gonna tell a genuine sleepaway camp story. And I felt so imprisoned there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like you're using that against me. I think that she's going to lower the age to about 73. That's what I think. I'm about to say your whole fucking birthday on air. <laughs> Make that the exact day. I'm just saying, okay? Child propaganda. Can my, can my ladies sound off in the comments? Snapping. She is snapping. All right, sound off. Are they sounding off? Oh, we have to wait. Sorry. Right. Until we publish. Well, Midwest Monster said, I took my daughter to see the new Batman. We've watched all the Batman movies together. Fun. It sounds crazy, but the newest Batman might be the best goddamn one. I've been reading and collecting comic books for over 30 years. Pattinson and the rest of the cast made me eat crow. 99 is correct about Jenny and Gump. Jenny is just as unlikable as Grandpa Joe from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And don't get me started on Wonka and his enslavement of the Oompa Loompas. She's also 100% about Annie. I feel like we should discuss Five Came Back. What's that? I think it's a documentary about, it's a war documentary. I this was kind of like a stream of consciousness. That's fun. But um, I don't actually hate Grandpa Joe. No? I don't. That's like a whole big thing, like the, with the t- figuring, like painting the karate kid as the bad guy mm. and and Johnny actually being the good guy. Okay. Like that like the internet rehabilitated Johnny and then I think that it was partially responsible for that series being rebooted. Mm. Is the same way that Grandpa Joe has been vilified over the years. It's it's become like an internet culture meme. But also, you know, I mean not for nothing, right? He's sick and bad, he can't move until somebody says he can win a million dollars and all of a sudden the guy's fucking dancing around the well, room. Well, what if you had nothing left to live for? The guy's literally like letting letting all the kids there go hungry and they're in bed. There's only the one kid, kid. Making the kid take care Charlie. of them, right? Oh and then they're like, Oh, a million dollars, yeah, look, I'm better. Like, fuck that guy, right? I mean, I don't know. You take care his, of that his kid. His lot in life isn't great. He shares a bed with three other people. <laughs> Let him have this one thing. All right. 99 siding on see I can never I can never predict where you're gonna land on I'm stuff. not pro or against okay I will say you sound like the president of Grandpa Joe's fan club right now. yeah I am <laughs> I just look I have sympathy for the guy you know there's some there, listen there's some more 99 love you want to keep going here uh sure IMGT17 says 99 great show Three things. Say to Manny, war, what is it good for? <laughs> Say to Max, or sooner. And you, little button, <laughs> should go see everything everywhere all at once. So I don't understand what any of this means. I know war, what is it good for? I don't know what or sooner means. And is he calling me little button? Or they? I think or me. sooner to me is like... Oh, kill you sooner? Yes. Oh, exactly. fun. Yeah. And are they calling me little button? Mm-hmm. Is that cute or weird? It's like kind of cute, I think. It's it's uh I think it's uh I think it's with love. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you, little button, should go see everything everywhere all at once. I don't know what that is. I why did I see something about that recently? It was this tweet. Googling. No. <laughs> Isn't this tweet? Everything everywhere all at once. It's new. Oh. Yeah, this looks fucking badass. It's an uh, almost entirely Asian cast, and it's about a woman who is meeting herself like through time travel, and it looks actually really fucking intense, like different versions of herself in different like universes and stuff like that. Okay. With Michelle Yeoh um, as the as the lead, it looks actually pretty amazing. So there you go, little button. You should go see that. Okay, I will maybe. I'm so calling you little button from now on. Great. 
And C. Petty said, Max, this episode was fire. Great work. One of my faves so far. Thank you. I'm a frequent listener, but rarely chime in. Everybody else says, says things better than me. Not so. Hollywood is not liberalism. Hollywood is capitalism. Boom. Oh, and also, hashtag FMF. And then Oquangulated said, one of my favorite podcasts. I learn so much with every show. I think you're overdue for an unfucking of U.S. relations with Israel and the Arab Middle East. I don't know if we're overdue for that because we try not to get too involved in foreign affairs, but at some point it's definitely going to come up. What's fascinating to me right now is the shifting alliances in the Middle East. And the Ukraine situation is kind of thrown, not a monkey wrench into it, but it's thrown another complicating factor into it. Us taking our eye off the ball in the Middle East and, and Europe in general is creating very strange bedfellows and allies. And China, of course, strange is... Strange bedfellows? Bedfellows. Strange bedfellows. Yeah. You know, strange bedfellows. What does that mean? Well, it's like, you know, like like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Fire, fire and marshmallows? Yes. You're reading my mind, 99. Mm-hmm. Good little button. Yeah, so anyway, there's a lot going on. And, uh, and it's all changing. It's always changing. And then again, some of it's been around forever. But uh, yeah, at some point we'll get to that. And I refuse to deal with anybody that has uh, really crazy emotions on one side or the other and is not going to look at just practical information. So if you're going to bring your preconceived notions to anything that we unfuck in the Middle East, then uh, go somewhere else. Yikes. Yeah. Getting, Getting heated. Yeah, man. And then over on Substack, we've got Andrew L. who said, My absolute favorite war movie is Pan's Labyrinth. A work of art. It's an interesting take. The Spanish Civil War did not truly end with the fall of the Republic. Anarchist militia fought on. Also, hearts around Almost Famous. It's in my top ten movies, but I'd rather punch myself in the nuts than watch any superhero movie. So a little bit of love for 99's top movie or one of the most influential movies? I mean, neither. Just one that came to mind. I, I mean, I had to put like a top hundred together, sure. It wouldn't make it wouldn't crack top ten, top twenty. I have twenty movies in my top ten. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's why I always go with hundred because I'll be like, oh, that's one of my favorite movies, top hundred, because mm. it it gives it so much wiggle room. Because I I forget what movies I like. You know what my favorite movie is? You should give you a hint. I'm basic. I mean Godfather, but okay. Right. I didn't think that was. I thought there was maybe some subterfuge happening. Nope, just basic white guy movie. Okay, I'm that guy. Fun fact, I went to the screening of whatever anniversary it was in the city mm-hmm. with somebody that you know, a friend of mine that you know, mm-hmm. who fell asleep during it and was snoring loudly. Of course. And then the lights went up <laughs> and my hand to God. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not a believer. So your hand to all Satan. my life or Satan, the aisle on the other side of the aisle was Francis Ford Coppola who wanted to sit in the middle and said afterwards during the Q&A, I haven't watched my own film since it came out. This is my first time and I wanted to see it as like a regular audience member would see it to really kind of take it in, which means at some point during that magical experience that this man had, he heard my great friend snoring. That's so sad. And perfect at the same time. It's very on brand for him. Totally. But you'd think he'd, if he was awake, 
they could be the best of friends. Oh, with a million selfies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And lastly on Substack, John D said, just kill me now. Don't wait till I'm 75 because I probably won't live that long. I know it was a joke, but as Dr. King said, if it's on their lips, it's in their hearts. Uh-oh. I read that and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Please calm down, John. <laughs> she I don't... doesn't really want to kill all of us. Just some of you. Just some of us. I right. mean, who doesn't? Right. Tell me every day doesn't go by. You see an old white man, you go, that person shouldn't be here anymore. <laughs> I've said to old white men who are pushing my buttons, the best part about this conversation is knowing how few years you have left on the planet <laughs> and that it won't matter. <laughs> That's nice. I know. I've toned it down since then. I'm like a I'm lot. just ramping it up. You're just getting going, baby. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it to like my own grandpa. Ah, uh, youth. <laughs> <laughs> the destructive force that it is. Uh, so let's uh, let's close this out with some of our coffee donations. Go ahead, 99. So Linda L is now a member and said, I love the show and I've shared it with my friends. I've bought you all coffee before, but decided to become more invested. Since I don't drink coffee, I'm becoming a member. I love that you provide a young perspective via 99. I enjoy hearing her side of things since I'm probably closer in age to Max. So now you know how I feel about old white men. <laughs> there you go. That's my side. <laughs> and I do love, as it just I should say, I do love as much as we fuck around in show notes, the perspective that you bring to it. And I love running things by you. And I love having this out and that we do come up, come at it from a different um a different generational perspective because in so many you always surprise me because your cultural references go so far back and you have so many of them and i'm not talking about pop culture i'm just talking about like general culture you're so you have such deep like rich thoughtful experience and i think a lot of that may be the podcasts that you listen to like you can you can jive on silly pop culture just as much as you can jive on something that's really like life-changing and and deep and meaningful and you bring that same sort of like elevated but fun conversation to to both sides of it that i think is what has made this show really not just balanced but has made it pop it's just you've injected that type of like it's not a youth youthful perspective or energy so much as it's just just you i love you i just like being with Aww, you that's thank all you. i appreciate that i love you too Edric is now a member, said, great fucking podcast. Awesome how it can make me so angry, bring tears to my eyes with sadness, and then make me laugh out loud as well. Keep up the great work and FRR. Tam Jam is now a member. With an eye roll and an internal monologue of fucking play it, but I'm not going to like it. I let my mom choose the podcast on a road trip across Canada one fateful August night. Quote, just one episode turned into a four day binge of the entire library. At the risk of hearing I told you so from my mother on Canucker, I have to say that she was right. Turns out mother does know best after all. I am Thanks for all that you guys do, eh? Mm. I impatiently wait every episode, and I'm delighted to have yet another thing to share with my mom and my best friend. Well, and like, like I have top my top 20 movies in my top 10. This is definitely one of my top 10 comments in my top five. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tam Jim. That was awesome. An exile writer is now a member as well, saying, Hey, Max, 99 and Manny, I love, love, love the humanity, the commitment, the knowledge and the laughs you bring week in and week out. Well, appreciate you writing in. Actually gave us a really long, thoughtful email in the uh, in the membership notes. Exile Writer, just know we see you. We acknowledge a lot of what you're saying in here. And there's going to be you know more to go back on as, as we continue to go on. So thank you for writing in. And then a bunch of people bought us coffee. Like Jennifer C. 
bought us a coffee. Handsome Sam bought 20 coffees and said thank you for your generosity. Said thank you 99 for your generosity, to be clear. Okay. Uh, thank you, Max, for spreading the word about Jessica Cisneros. No problem. I know your mission isn't to become a news outlet, but please keep putting these opportunities out into the fucked up universe for us to rally behind. Fill up my cup. Bought a coffee. Love, love, love your show when you guys talk about race, which on the one hand is totally made up and non-existent, yet on the other hand, as 99 said today, look around. The whole world is about color, unfortunately. It might help move your conversations forward to ditch the references to race and color and talk about power differences, of which color is one of the main power differences we have in our sick modern society. Yes, very interesting, and definitely a way to to address the topic. But again, we can't, we are not the ones that are promoting the narrative. We are talking up to the narrative, explaining a lot of what's happening. And we have to, we would be unable to discuss these issues without talking about race and kind of what underlies it until hopefully we all evolve to the point where we're talking about power dynamics, which are definitely at the heart of a lot of these structural issues. Um, I don't think that we're able to take one away from the other just yet, but it definitely is something that we hear and we feel. You remember the song, I Love College by Asher Roth? Nope. Well, there's a line in it where he says, let's fill up my cup. Let's get fucked up or something like that. I'm next on the table. Who want what? I'm champion at beer pong, but continues. But every time I hear, like I saw this name, the song stuck in my head. I bet it's playing right now. It is. If Manny can find it. Well, I thought you were gonna be funny. Come on, be funny. No, no, I'm not gonna be your monkey. Um, <laughs> what? What? You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, I don't just do. I don't just snap your fingers and I just do the thing. Come on. All right, fine. Choruses. I love college. <laughs> I love drinking. I love women. And I love college. It's literally the whole course. He dropped out of college and signed with Kanye, so it was kind of ironic. Hmm. What I, what I appreciate again about that is the library of you singing that we <laughs> definitely have. We're going to be able to put it together and probably put out a hit single. No. Pete and the Pines bought two coffees for us. I also just made a contribution to the Jessica Cisneros campaign. Fuck yeah, Pete and the Pines. Thank you for doing that. And bookstore Kim bought three coffees. One's for me, for Billy Joel is my fish. One's for 99, for saying the Mets are Jewish. And the one is for Manny's eloquent weigh-in. Also, we've got Becca Ballant. Is that what it says? Mm-hmm. Our progressive Senate president running for house here in Vermont. Very cool. Okay, Becca Ballant in Vermont. Let's get on it. Reciprocal Hokey bought five coffees and said, Max, I'm with you on the Mets. Born and raised in North Jersey, but don't hold that against me. Mm, Hudson or Bergen? I'm just going to say Bergen. I'm gonna yeah, answer probably for Bergen. Him. One of my earliest memories as a five-year-old was screaming down to the bullpen at Shea, where old 41 Tom Seaver himself was warming up in 1969. Big no on the Jets, though. Always the Giants. 99, I'm way old school like your dad. Huge deadhead who toured the shows every summer. More than 150 shows. Is that a lot in the Grateful Dead universe? Feels like a lot. Yeah. Let's go out. Man. Do the, do, does the Grateful Dead keep their ticket prices reasonable? Aren't they in charge of like their their ticketing? Isn't there something uh, to that that, that you told was me? Th- that was then they had they created their own system, but now it's it's all Ticketmaster. Uh, so Dead and Co's tickets. I mean, 
they're expensive. Like you could get a like a city field ticket for like 70 bucks, which is not cheap cheap, but it's not if you want to be on the floor, that that's where the prices go up. You know, they could be in the the 150 and you I mean half the fucking price is the fees. So, yeah. Yeah. um no, they no longer are in control of their own ticket supply chain unfortunately, but the Grateful Dead is truly outside of musical genius, entrepreneurial genius. What they've what they've done, what they created. Music today is would not be what it is without the Grateful Dead and their influence. 99 gave me a book on this once and I was blown away by their business acumen. Inadvertent business acumen. It was just doing good things for the fans. There I mean, letting tapers come in because they said, fuck it. Let's just let them do it. I mean, that's why there's just, it's. I could talk about it for a while, so I won't. You make that one of your episodes in your miniseries on jam bands. Yeah. Right? It would just be like, I unfucking, it would just be like fucking jam bands, man. <laughs> That'll be the name. Like, un will be crossed out. <laughs> I like it. There's a spinoff series for you. Cross out the un and just go with it. Mm-hmm. And we'll launch it on uh, well, a different feed, but we'll we'll make sure that everybody listens to it. Yeah, or we just do 99's Problems. Right. Right. I put together my dissertation about why this white is men. 99 different white men. Yeah. Ooh. Well, now you're giving me a hit list. It's getting serious here. <laughs> You'll be like a deck of cards. Or in Hatch. Soldiers with done. Melissa bought five coffees, said, love your podcast. I appreciate that you could put together entertaining and logical arguments to so many cultural claims of why things are the way they are. Thank you. And you're welcome. And Simon Brooke. Bought us a coffee. Uh, Simba, by the way, Simon B. This one is for Gilbert and McGovern. Tom has outdone himself. That is a great way for us to finish today because Tom really, we actually got a few comments on this and I think people were fairly blown away by what Tom put together for our new introduction. Here's what I want you to clear up though. Mm -hmm. Who writes them? Tom. That's not true. I have a hand in it. Yeah, I just want your, your... Your comical he is acumen, com- com- comedic acumen. I'm not saying- I'm his Bernie Taupin. How's that? I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, the guy writes all of Elton John's lyrics. Oh, okay. Sorry. There, it's, I, I've, musicians are a huge part of my life. And there, there's something about this Tom McGovern, though, that you just give him a couple of cues, you give him some phrases, and he's like, yep, got it. And turns around exactly what's in your head. He is gifted to just like a totally different level. Of appreciate course. him. I didn't mean to to take away from from his skill. I know what talent, you were doing, and I appreciate the love you yeah. were sending my way. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a just I a want magical you to have collaboration. The lyrical credit for ninety nine is a vegan and she's nice. <laughs> a plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's not like I gave myself. I we I gave Manny the best line, right? Mm-hmm. The genius behind the glass. I know, but it just, I like Miami Vice. You're I'm a just, vegan I'm and you're nice. I'm listening to it and I'm like, nice. Okay, it's just funny. You're nice. You're nice. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I like I'm Miami sure Vice. Everyone would think Manny that gets the big oh, Couldn't such a genius like... behind the glass. But you, these two, the uh, Miami Vice and she, her, she's a what, vegan. And what she's what nice. character is this? Uh, I went old Eddie Murphy doing old Jew. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I was kidding. I don't know where it was coming from. I don't know. You know, just somewhere deep inside of me. Your Jew is coming out. an old Jew. Yep. Who knew? Maybe I'm reincarnated. Okay. Right? So, I, in full disclosure, there's no fucking way I'm going to have the religion episode done for this week. 
I told you to stop telling people. <laughs> so it's going to be the following like, week. You should I know hope. by now. That loose timelines. Loose timelines. Loose timelines. On everything. You but know how many times mm-hmm. I've cut out, oh, we're going to have this next week. And I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> I fucking know we won't. So I cut it out. <laughs> I have trouble with time and math. Yeah. So, yeah. But we've got a good one coming up, obviously. But uh, it's just not going to be the religion episode just it's yet. It's going to be the satanic panic. How do we close these things? Do we know? Usually, um, I don't know. Sometimes we list all the unfucker groups. Yeah. Uh, and we're adding kiwi fuckers to that, right? Obviously. Unfuckers, subfuckers, down under fuckers, kiwi fuckers, euro fuckers, uncanuckers, subfuckers. Plant fuckers. Plant fuckers. Yes. We love you all. All right, so we'll just fucking close the show, right? I guess so. See you on the weekend. Bye. An Exile member is now a writer as well. Max? (laughs) You did that backwards. Exile writer? You said Exile member is now a writer as well. Did I really? Yeah. Wow. Lick dick sick. If you're evil and you're on the rise, you can count on the four of us taking you down. Cause we're good and evil never beats us. We'll win the fight and then go out for pizzas. We are the crystal gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we can, we'll always find a way. That's why the people of this world could only know what we really are when we arrived on earth from out beyond your star we were amazed to find your beauty and your worth and we will protect your kind and we will protect your earth and we will protect your earth and we will protect you Fight in the name of Rose Quartz and everything that she believed in. I will fight for the world I was made in. The earth is everything I've ever known. I will fight to be everything that everybody wants me to be when I'm grown. The other against us won't be easy, but we're not going to do it alone. We are the Crystal Gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we can, we'll always find a way. Crystal Jack.